July 13th, 1973. Alexander Butterfield reveals existence of the Nixon tapes to Congress for the first time, clarifying he means the audio tapes, not the collection of humiliation porn under Nixon's desk. Welcome to The Revisionist. I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. And so excited to have our guest on today. Uh, first timer, but he is hilarious. And welcome, Zeke Carrera. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Zeke, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Zach, how, how are you? Sorry, it is how am I? still I'm very hot, and I'm not. I'm good. It's a, it's about 100 degrees here in Chicago. Oh, that sucks uh, ass, dude. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm not in the 100 degree area. I've been running my AC all day, so hey, environment, fuck a duck, because I'm cool <laughs> at your expense. That's the, yeah, that's the new slogan for air conditioning, fuck a duck, because I'm cool. This yeah. When air conditioning fired their marketing team. I mean, you got to do something, though, you know? That's true. No, I could die, I guess. I mean, you could Which run, run like 10 fans at the same time, but I'm not sure that's a lot better. Yeah. If I were if I were truly committed to the environment, it'd be like I could die. That would be the best. <laughs> yeah, anytime I read an obituary, it's like, man, that person was really dedicated to the cause. Yeah. There's really nothing better for the environment than human death. <laughs> That's true. The only downside is my fat ass cat has to die too, and like <laughs> And that's a Stipulation you're putting on that. Yeah. You don't she have to kill your cat. You can give your cat nothing. away. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, Luna has to die too. Or feed off your corpse. Which is probably yeah. way more environmentally friendly. Yeah, that'd be a double double dose of good uh, nature vibes. <laughs> if there's reincarnation, I'm coming back as, uh, I don't know, something not as shitty as a bug? <laughs> <laughs> A tree, I think. If I come back as a human, it's just like, well, what did I kill myself for? <laughs> <laughs> you could come back as a better human, though, you know? Yeah, or like a poorer human who doesn't exert as much waste. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I could come back as like a taller human, certainly I would view that as a step up. Or if I came back as a baller human. <laughs> Oh, or just like as a human that doesn't uh, live around anywhere with technology that has access to AC, you know? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. So that's uh, that's all about the future, though. We're not here to talk about the, the grim future. We're here to talk about the grim past. <laughs> that's, uh, if you're new to the show, listeners, what we do, each episode we take a topic from history. One person presents the actual government-sanctioned version of events, and another person comes up with a crazy, bonkers, bananas alternate history. And the winner uh, becomes the truth uh, going forward. What does that mean, the winner? The, the winner of, like, the combined audience vote and, like, the judgment of whoever is not writing a story this episode, basically. Uh, it's a democratic um, system, nominally. And what I'm asking is, what is the audience looking for? Oh, uh, okay, I see. Uh, to be entertained, as all audiences are. Okay, which one is more entertaining, the truth or not the truth? Yeah, I think that's... It's a combination of things, I feel like. like which, which one is more entertaining? Which one feels 
less upsetting to vote for. Yeah, like, sometimes it's a moral question of, like, for instance, last week we talked about uh, Harriet Tubman, and sometimes it's like, well, I could vote about this very silly story of Harriet Tubman doing crazy shit, but also morally it feels wrong to be like, fuck normal Harriet Tubman. (laughs) Yeah, give me fucking... Teenage Mutant Ninja Harriet Tubman. Teenage Mutant Ninja Tubman's <laughs> is fun. I, I was picturing Harriet Tubman wearing four different colored masks. Yeah, she's on a date and she has to pretend to be all four Teenage Mutant Ninja Tubman's. <laughs> because her date has a very weird fetish. Well, she's on four dates. She's on oh, four okay. dates and she's running to the bathroom like... So she has four different I normally like now. pizza, but this pizza is making me... Have to pee. <laughs> wow, didn't even think that through. Doesn't even know pizza makes you poop. Yeah. Well, I thought it would be less grotesque to talk about Harriet Tubman peeing. <laughs> would it, though? Is it that much worse? I mean, um, she did both. I'm going to say this canonically in both versions of history. Mm-hmm. Harriet Tubman, she pooped, she peed. <laughs> we should, we could really lead off most of our actual histories with that. It might help, like, people, to demythologize. Harriet Tubman pooped and peed? Yeah, well, demythologize some just of these people. Just make it the slogan of the show. <laughs> the Revisionist Podcast, Harriet Tubman pooped and peed. <laughs> Everybody poops, including Harriet Tubman. That's yeah, that's, the- that's a good, like... For nowadays, like, there are these bookstores near where I live that are, like, very much, like, and I support them, but, like, books for kids that are, like, strong women in history, but they never take the angle of, like, you know who else pooped? Harriet Tubman. (laughs) It's weird that no one has ever taken that, that the authors of Everyone Poops hasn't. Yeah, it's weird nobody uh, points out a thing everybody knows all the time. <laughs> you yeah. No one speaks that about everybody it. poops and pees. <laughs> yeah. They say everybody, but, like, they don't mention everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't come up in every biography. I don't get it. Now, From no. Hitler to Tubman, it's a universal <laughs> condition. <laughs> now I'm just picturing, like, instead of distributing phone books, people getting, like, the same thing, but instead of listing people's phone numbers, it just says poops and peas. I'm actually considering now, like, uh, a bathroom etiquette book where it's, like, Harriet Tubman and Adolf Hitler, and Adolf Hitler has terrible bathroom etiquette, and <laughs> Harriet Tubman has great bathroom etiquette. Yeah, that's like it's goofs and gallop at that point, really. Exactly, exactly. And it doesn't get more goofus than Hitler. Yeah, he goofed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm editing all of that out. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll sprinkle it in throughout the episode. <laughs> so you can't edit it out. Also, speaking of the Harriet Tubman story, of course, the actual history one, uh, listener vote, blew the alternate oh. out of the water as it should have. Possibly the most inspirational figure we've ever talked about on this show. Hands down, yeah. Yeah. And my sort of not fully half-assed... <laughs> Christmas Carol parody that went along with it. Yeah. It was like an American Carol, that uh, <laughs> oh, sucker film that where Michael Moore gets right visited. wing yeah. version mm-hmm. of a Christmas Carol. But like the main character didn't get changed. She was like, this is bullshit. Oh, uh, God. Well, that uh, we're moving on to the next uh, chapter in history that we'll be covering, which is Hollywood crimes and scandals. Yeah, and we got to get on that. 
Katrina Longworth true crime money mm-hmm. money machine for this mm-hmm. podcast. Yes, indeed. So hopefully next week we'll be start rolling in the dough and uh, the Casper fucking mattress sponsorships will come through. Hey, baby. How about some murders involving rich white people? That's what podcasters love to hear. Podcasting audience, you know you want it. <laughs> this week, we're discussing the Lindbergh baby, which, Zeke, you're doing the actual history, right? Yeah. And Zach, you're doing the alternate. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> okay, so, Zeke, whenever well, you're we ready. both picked alternate. Oh, fuck. Oh, well, I guess the Lindbergh baby is fucked. Uh yeah, he is anyway. I'm going <laughs> to... Yeah. Minor spoiler. All right, well, yeah. Well, Lindbert, uh, do you want me to just go into it? Or yeah, do you want to get this Casper ready. mattress commercial out? Or Yeah, well, no. Well, let's talk about Casper mattresses. Casper mattress. Do you want a bed but hate carrying a whole mattress? Get a mattress enclosed in a tiny box. Casper mattress. One night, Charles Augustus Lindbergh was sleeping on his... Casper mattress, happy as could be, <laughs> when the unthinkable happened, unrelated to the mattress. <laughs> <laughs> totally. That's also Casper's new slogan. Uh, the Lindbergh baby tragedy was fucking not related to our mattress. Yeah, the only, the only, the only aspect of the tragedy it contributed to was that everyone slept too soundly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, get started. Though so actually, started? several people were awake when uh, when uh, the child was yeah, abducted. almost everybody was awake. All right. Hey there, this is Brian reminding you that the Revisionist is supported by listeners just like you. You can make a pledge and get rewards like shirts and even the right to vote over at Patreon.com/slash/TheRevisionists. Just keep in mind when you're voting, audience, that this is about a dead baby. <laughs> and if you vote against a dead baby, like, who's really in the wrong here, you know? I think but think about this, audience. Messages. If the baby survived, he might be dead by now? <laughs> Some point. people born in 1932 are dead now. Yeah, but this baby died as a baby. Yeah. yeah. Think about that. All right. So some people born in 1932 are also alive right now. So <laughs> Rita Moreno, for example. <laughs> off the off the top of your head, Jesus. Yeah, that's crazy. I looked up people born in 1932. <laughs> okay, that makes more sense. I was like, off the top of your head, and a person I've never heard of. Interesting. <laughs> uh, she's in West Side Story. She's a EGOT winner. One okay. day at a time. Uh, coming back to TV. Doesn't mean I've heard of her. <laughs> All right. My, March 1st, 1932, uh, Charles Lindbergh Jr., son of Charles Lindbergh and Anne Morrow Lindbergh, uh, was discovered not in his bed anymore at around 10 o'clock. Uh, the nurse put him to bed at 730. Uh, 9.30, Charles Lindbergh Sr. hears some rustling. Just kind of ignores it, you know. There's but he has a butler. He's got a nurse. He's got a wife. He just assumes they're it's, you know. It's the 30s. Everything rustles all the time. Yeah, you gotta pay. Pe- you pay people to deal with rustling when you're that yeah. rich. Yeah, he's not worried about it. Uh, then 10 o'clock, the nurse goes to check on the baby again and discovers that uh, Charles Lindbergh Jr. is missing. Uh, 
I, I didn't really plan on, like, hamming this up. I just thought I was telling the story, just so you no, know. No, that's totally okay. fine. We'll feel do, free to we'll... ham if you feel ham come upon you. Okay, no, we're the ham absolutely. Here. Um, if you feel that spirit of John Ham floating over your head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the nurse is Betty Gow. Uh, then they find a note. The note is just has, like, terrible grammar. It's, it's basically illegible. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, I'm just like that. That's the first thing instead of like we took your baby. It's just like, oh, this note is not well. I mean, it is. I already said the baby's missing. I think we get it. You know, it's Uh, it's rife with spelling errors. It's a bad note. If you look at the picture of it, you cannot read it. It's impossible. You can recognize that there's numbers, but you cannot know what it's saying. It's almost like a baby wrote it. Yeah, the baby (laughs) staged his own kidnapping (laughs) and then murdered itself. Um, my dad might be a Nazi. <laughs> uh, the letter, yeah, basically illegible, just asking for money. Uh, and there's three dots, a red a red circle, a blue circle, and a punched hole. And the kidnapper's like, this is our, uh, this is how you know it's me and not somebody else asking for money, you know? Oh, that's like our code. Okay. Yeah. So they go around... Uh, they find the note, they go around the, the thing, the house, and they find, like, a couple footprints and, like, a very uh, unique ladder. It's <laughs> like a homemade ladder. It's a homemade ladder that... It is uh, homemade, yeah. Like, slides up and down. It, fuck, I deleted the whole thing. Hold on, let me <laughs> get to it. All right. Um, so they go around looking for people or the baby or whatever with a gun. Uh, him and the butler, Ollie Waitley. Uh, then they call the cops, call their attorney. Cops show up, and they can't find any like fingerprints or anything. Uh, they can't find make out any footprints. Uh, they're, while they're doing the investigation, still on the house, uh, news is made public that the baby's missing. A uh, bunch of people show up to this house and just kind of trash any evidence mm-hmm. that there might be. Because this was like the 30s when a crime scene was just like a free-for-all. Yeah, yeah. there was a crime party, basically. Yeah. Who wants to come see a crime? It's basically like being inside of a TJ Maxx. Everything. You know just... how we don't have TV yet? You want yeah. You want some outside TV? <laughs> you, were waiting, you were waiting for something exciting to happen so your life wasn't boring for five minutes. <laughs> Yeah, people show up, they trash the thing, uh, the police go over the notes, they think the person that wrote the note is uh, possibly German, you know, according to, uh, they like to cipher the handwriting and uh, all the grammatical mistakes and decide. The spelling mistakes, probably. Yeah. The sauerkraut stains on the note. That's probably racist. The later hosen left at the scene of the crime. There we go, yeah. They... Uh, think that it could possibly be connected to the mob. A bunch mm. of mob members like offer up help, including Al Capone, who <laughs> really I... yeah, Al Capone <laughs> offered help because he was in jail, and he was like, "I'll help you find this baby if you reduce my jail time." Oh shit! Yeah, he was like, "I'll be the Hannibal Lecter before Hannibal Lecter." <laughs> yeah, basically. And then uh, they said no. They're like, "Now nah, we got this," but they didn't have it because that baby <laughs> showed up dead. Um, uh, the FBI offers twenty five thousand as a reward. Uh, the Lindbergh family offers up fifty thousand. Uh, this is during the Great Depression, uh, so that would be roughly one point four million dollars in today's money. 
Then the second second note shows up. It's postmarked from Brooklyn. It basically just says, uh, we're kind of pissed you brought in the police. You know, uh, we're going to need more money than we asked for before. Mm-hmm. Because now we have to lay low with this baby for a while. Because <laughs> you brought the police in. Uh, third note shows up the, to set up a meeting. The third note says that there's a personality from the Bronx... I don't really know what that means at this time. I guess he's just like a public speaker. It's like a retired school teacher. Yeah, retired school teacher. He offered up a thousand dollars to to help for information on the kidnapper. His name is John Condon. He takes an ad out in the newspaper, uh, saying the instructions say that they want him to take an ad out in the newspaper if he agrees to the terms and is willing to be the the third party between mm-hmm. uh, the kidnappers. And the Lindberghs. So he does that. And With the they, nickname Jaffsy or something? Yeah, Jaffsy. Uh, I thought, I, yeah, I was confused about that. I thought that might be... No, that was John Condon's like nickname in the intermediary product, process, I guess. Yeah. And then uh, they offer up the suit that the baby was sleeping in as evidence that it's still alive. I mean, not great evidence. You could take a suit off a dead baby, for sure. Or just buy a different one. Or take the suit off and then kill the baby. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, I mean, what what else could he do, though, you know? I'm sure they don't want the finger chopped off, you know? I'm sure they're like, yeah, listen, uh, the the sleeping suit's fine. Uh, (laughs) Leave his toes on or whatever. Leave his toes on. Yeah. (laughs) Ain't got iPhones back then. (laughs) Yeah. Send him, like, a charcoal drawing of the baby. All right, then a fourth note shows up, leading them to the fifth note. There's 13 notes in total. Mm -hmm. A lot of them aren't uh, completely... You don't really need to know about them. So fourth note is just like, hey, here's where the fifth note is. And then... (laughs) (laughs) Then they go find a fifth note. It's a little Easter egg hunt. So sixth note is just a Casper mattress ad. Yeah. It's basically more just more instructions. They meet in a cemetery, and uh, the kidnapper is like just all in shadow. So John Condon can't make out what he looks like. Really, he can't describe him. The kidnapper says, um, "Your baby's being taken care of by two innocent women. Uh, they don't know he's been kidnapped." Uh, later, they they finally bring him the money. They make like a special box for the money, and in, in hopes of like identifying the box. They don't. They don't mark the money, but they note all the serial numbers, right? Which are non non sequential, I imagine. That and they just... have uh, gold certificates in the money. Yeah, the gold certificates are about to be brought out of circulation. Mm, okay. So they're giving him the money in hopes of, uh, you know, he's going to have to exchange these, and they're hoping to catch him then. Uh, then later, uh, May twelfth. The body's found by a truck driver. The cause of death is skull trauma to the skull. Uh, The officials suspect an inside job. They think it's one of Condon's, like, friends or family is in on it. And they start interrogating a lady named Violet Sharp. Because she gave, during the first round of interviews, she gave some contradictory information. And was uh, just acting nervous. Which I feel is reasonable. Yeah. (laughs) just being interrogated about anything, I would act nervous. Even by, like, not the police? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. especially by the police. 
Who are uh, 1932 by like a barista? New York cops, you know. <laughs> yeah. Is your uh, is your name really uh, Neo? Because I think that might be. A... <laughs> I mean, having worked as a barista Tyler for many Durden, years, is that your real name? No. Here's the thing: having worked as a barista for many years, if someone tells you your name is Neo, you don't try to make more conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one you just let go. True facts. Anyway, not a joke. Somebody's <laughs> got to stand up to these people who say their name is Neo. <laughs> and or that person, Tony Montaigne. That person, Hugo Weaving, as Agent Smith. <laughs> anyway. Never dying. <laughs> Mr. Anderson is his preferred nomenclature. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking Elrond or shit. Alright, so then that lady kills herself. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Man, of all the times for the goof about. Yeah. Yeah, apparently, uh, I don't know if it still does, but some nail polish has cyanide in it. Police brought her in, and after, uh, right before her fourth session of questioning, she downed some cyanide-filled nail polish. So that never goes anywhere. Uh, But later, her alibi, like, she had slightly contradictory evidence initially. Yeah. But her alibi was later verified, so she was just an innocent person. (laughs) Well, shit. Yeah, it sucks. Um, they find some of the money, like they said, like he said, they they kept track of some of the numbers. They found some of the money like scattered throughout the United States, but they couldn't really track it. Um, and then, like I said, the gold certificates need to be exchanged by a certain time. A man came in by the name he gave the name J.J. Faulkner and a fake address to exchange the gold certificates. Uh, hmm. They go check out the address. That's uh, fake address. Uh, nothing really comes of that. And then later, a man named Richard Hampton, Hump, Haupt, Haupt, Hauptman, 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 Hauptman. was arrested for uh, for using the the money with the same uh, serial numbers. Serial numbers, right? Uh, at a gas station. The, the guy working the gas station thought he was like a counterfeiter because he was acting real suspicious. Mm-hmm. Then they found out it was from the ransom. And then they found $14,000 in ransom money uh, at his house, yeah. in his garage. And a couple of the gold certificates, I think, too. Right. Uh, Hallman said money was left there by a man named Isidore Fish. Fish had died recently in 1934, like a couple months before they got to the money. Uh, after returning to Germany, uh, he, he left Hampton the $14,000 was Hauptmann's story, which he only found about out about after uh, Fish had died. That's like the I have a Canadian girlfriend of crime. Oh, I mean, absolutely. But the I, here's my theory is uh, I think Hauptmann just had Isidore... Just write the letters. No, oh, so I I don't think Isidore is involved at all. Because like Isidore, before he left, oh, he, so could, he actually did exist. He did exist. Yeah, he was okay. a real guy, but um, he was apparently having trouble making his three dollar and fifty cent a week rent before he left. Went back to Germany. He couldn't pay for his medical bills, and the reason he died was he had tuberculosis. Meanwhile, uh, Richard Hauptmann had been out of work for years and never taken up another job and continued to live comfortably. Right. So by all accounts, Fish was like extremely poor and never saw any of this money. 
and Hauptman was doing fine the whole time. Right. I don't think uh, Isidore was involved intentionally. No. I think. Oh, I see. Uh, I think Richard used him as uh, he didn't want the notes tied to himself. You know. I see. Mm-hmm. I think he just ha- tricked him somehow into writing these letters. Because this That's is also why sorry. It was full of like grammatical errors. This is also like a point in time but when like they people... were both. They're no. both German immigrants, so yeah, it's tough to say. But this is like a, pe- a point in time when people know about like handwriting comparison and like fingerprints, even though those are like still relatively new and underdeveloped techniques. Yeah, true. But like enough lay people know that like someone could reasonably be like, yeah, I don't want my handwriting matched to right. this. Uh, please found more evidence, including sketches of the ladder. And John Condon's phone number and address. Uh, eight handwriting experts show similarities in their handwriting, uh, but there are uh, some other experts that are denied. Uh, they're not allowed to testify in court. The attorney sort of uh, the attorney is appointed to John Hauptman because it's called the trial of the century. So the New York Times buys his attorney in order to get rights to the story of the case. <laughs> Part of the wood from the ladder was identified. Uh, his wife was brought in to corroborate his story. Uh, did, I, did I say the ladder thing already? His, his ladder, that ladder was identified from a piece of his attic. His yeah, the wood is the same. And there's like, there's holes where screws go from like, that match missing pieces yeah. of wood from Hoptman's attic. He had checked out a book on like amateur ladder building. And then, like you I said, so, yeah. he hadn't had a job in quite some time. Convicted of the crime. He's uh, in prison for about two years before he's executed. Yeah, he mm-hmm. never... Maintains his innocence the entire time. Also... He actually... They said they could commute his sentence to a lesser sentence, yeah. but he still refused the, to admit uh, guilt. The FBI enacts the Federal Kidnapping Act, which basically allows peace police to go across state lines in, in, for a kidnapping and it makes it a felony to bring somebody uh, across state lines against their will. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, and Lindbergh, Char- I mean Charles Lindbergh Sr. himself, this was I can't remember if this was before or uh, if he got in really into eugenics before uh, the kidnapping of his son or if it all happened after. But that's like a... not. He definitely... Lindbergh's famous for having pro-Nazi, like, Nazi apologist tendencies. And that definitely happened probably mostly after, because this was a year or two before Hitler came into power. But he might have been into eugenics already, I don't know. I'm going to edit that little part out. Uh, Zeke, thank you. The part where you were for eugenics? You said out loud. (laughs) I'm pro-eugenics. I I wasn't going to edit that part out. I was going to edit the part where I was like... I had something to follow that, and I clearly forgot it. I mean, is Yeah. Brian was, oh, okay. was going to put the part where he said, I'm pro-eugenics at the top of the episode. Not true. Not pro-eugenics, guys. I I honestly thought it was weird that you said that, but then you know, I was like, he's probably going to edit that part out. And... I mean, I also said it as soon as I opened the door, which was weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's my... Fucking opener for every set. Yeah, Brian, you don't know this, <laughs> listeners, but Brian's license plate is eugenics now, X. but God like did. abbreviated. Uh, if I were, if I believed at all in eugenics, I would yeah. not exist as a person. That doesn't make any sense. I, 
Yeah, I have so many subpar qualities. Your main proof is yourself. That make me not an optimal human. <laughs> um, which does not exist. Again, anti-eugenics people. Um, if you are a listener and you are pro You just winked at me. <laughs> <laughs> Said anti-eugenics people and then winked at me. Now wingly. Oh, God damn it. See, thank you. You know, I'm just trying to do my best as a guest. (laughs) Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this John of All Trades podcast promo. Each Wednesday, I bring you a brand new interview with someone fascinating and ask the question we all ask when we meet someone new. Hey, what do you do? fun, informative, and it's the 2017 Westward Reader's Choice Award winner for Best Denver Podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, and johnofalltrades.us. We're in an interesting position. We've been in once or twice before mm-hmm. where we're talking, and we, we probably will be again in this section because this segment is kind of mystery related, but this is a story that mm-hmm. already has a lot of alternate histories about who did it. Like, did Charles Lindbergh kill the baby himself and make an elaborate cover-up? Was it the mob? Was it blah, 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 blah? There's a lot of theories about what happened with the Lindbergh baby case. Now, my... I don't believe any of them came to the genuine truth of the matter. Uh, In spite of the fact that, obviously, the fact that Richard Hauptman did it and probably did it by himself or with maybe one or two unwitting accomplices is clearly the most compelling argument... None of them came to the real truth of the argument. So, let's look at the evidence. The latter. Much ado was made of the fact that this was a very uniquely and freshly constructed ladder designed for this exact purpose. What they don't say? The ladder was rigged to connect to the top of the windowsill and was the exact height from the windowsill to the ground. Now, that's interesting. That's weird. How would they know that? How would the kidnappers know that? Continuing on. The note. Full of spelling errors. Full of grammatical errors. Poor handwriting. Somebody who doesn't have a full grasp of exactly the English language, okay. etc. Writing skills. All of that. Continuing on. The prints. There were no fingerprints in the room. Not even the fingerprints of the people who were supposed to be there, like Charles Lindbergh or the babysitter. None were found, except (laughs) the fingerprints of the baby himself. Continuing on. (laughs) Charles Lindbergh was a fascist. Now... Obviously, uh-huh. a lot of people have problems <laughs> okay, with good. people who are fascists. You know, fascist I would say for good reason. Babies. Yeah, babies hate fascists. <laughs> every baby. Uh, well, some babies. I would hope every baby. Depends on the baby. Um, Charles Lindbergh was also an extremely rich person in a time of extreme wealth inequality. Uh, both of these will rile a lot of people the wrong way. The trucker was a simple trucker in the Great Depression, probably a very poor man. Uh, Probably had some resentment towards somebody like Charles Lindbergh, a scion of wealth in a time of great income inequality. Look at leftist Twitter. You know there's a lot of hatred for the Richies right now. Hauptman and Fish 
Hauptmann and Ilsidor Fish were German immigrants fleeing from an increasingly fascist society they were scared of. And finally, Condon, retired school teacher. His closest contacts, children. <laughs> children would be the people who knew Condon I'm the best. Putting this up on a board with red string. What I am saying, of course. What I'm saying, of course, is the most logical suspect, <laughs> as you have already guessed, is the Lindbergh baby himself. What I am saying and what I am proposing and what is true <laughs> is that in the original Earth timeline, the Lindbergh baby was never kidnapped. He grew up into an adult and became an aviator in his own right, much like his father. But uh, after becoming increasingly disenchanted with his father as he accumulated wealth and became a pro-Hitler apologist, uh, the Lindbergh, <laughs> baby, the Lindbergh baby, baby, now the Lindbergh yeah. man, crashed. Uh, I like the Lindbergh man. The Lindbergh. Charles He's Lindbergh going to be Jr. time traveling. Much Let's like, give him something catchy to roll yeah, with. Yeah, no, okay. The Lindbergh man. <laughs> the Lindbergh man in the original Earth timeline where he grew up crashed on an island much like his actual friend Amelia Earhart, one of the people he actually looked up to. And on this island found a deadly a deadly artifact. Jesus. Written of in story only. The monkey's paw. Just quick question. Uh, Wanting to Amelia undo Earhart the sins of World War II, which of course... Timeline? Or is she still alive? <laughs> yeah, we already covered hers, so I don't want to change the mythology we've already established. Yeah, for she's Amelia, got her own thing. Which she's I think like is she's still alive happening. and she's doing some other shit. I think we... Yeah. Go listen to the Amelia Earhart episode where she lands in Brigadoon for a <laughs> while and it. then becomes Nancy Pelosi or something. I, I, I don't remember. I um, it's been a while. She becomes somebody of uh, a, a woman of very much of political power, I believe. Um, but uh, probably not Nancy Pelosi, but somebody else. Uh, so go listen to that episode. Meanwhile, <laughs> the Lindbergh man has found a monkey's paw. <laughs> now, he makes three wishes on this monkey's paw. And the first, of course, is to undo the horrors that his father accepted that he saw in World War II. He wants to rid the world of Hitler. Now, the monkey's paw twist on this is you have to kill Hitler when Hitler is but a babe. So he goes back in time with the monkey's paw, forcefully transported back in time, and does the ill deed and kills baby Hitler. But he's stuck in 19... Whenever Hitler was born? 18... 1890s, something? maybe? I don't know. Whenever okay, baby Hitler was we around? we not know who Hitler is? Yeah, 1880s. <laughs> oh, he was ready for you. Ah, but... <laughs> That's why I asked The other twist of the monkey's paw is there are always fragmented timelines. The timeline that Lindbergh existed in is the timeline he was destined to be in. Every choice in time travel creates split timelines. So Lindbergh has to go back to his own timeline or else live in 1880s Germany as a penniless nothing. So he makes this wish on the monkey paw. I wish to go back to my own timeline. But he goes back to the first day of his life with his adult brain. <laughs> and becomes the Lindbergh baby, but with the mind oh, oh, of the Lindbergh baby. man. 
And Hitler has not been killed in this timeline. Hitler is still rising to power. He's transported back to his same timeline. So he concocts his own abduction. Um, and as his final wish to the monkey's paw, knowing he would have to be a baby abducted and living in a harsh world by himself, he wishes to become an opponent to the excesses of capitalism that his own father perpetrated. So... He plans this heist. He gets Hauptmann, an enemy of fascism, and this truck driver, uh, an enemy of uh, excess capitalism, to help him <laughs> for the baby corpse. He brings Hitler's baby corpse and plants it in the forest. A diversion. Yes. So the baby corpse they found was, in fact, baby Hitler's corpse brought from the alternate timeline. And so he escapes... Dons a faked mustache and for a while is with Hauptmann as a very small businessman uh, by the name of Chet October Lindy. His middle okay. name was Augustus, but he took the name October after the October Revolution because now he is an enemy of capitalism. And so he emigrates to Russia. His third wish comes true, but he takes over the Soviet Union at its weakest point and becomes Mikhail Gorbachev. Now... In order to ensure that during his abduction, if he were found alive, he would not be indicted, he had um, Hauptmann smack him once on the head just so he could say that there was some struggle. And of course, that left a distinctive mark on his head. Hence, he is Mikhail Gorbachev with his distinctive head mark. Becomes a drunk knowing he's in charge of a flailing, inefficient, inefficient nation that is doomed to fall on the scrap heap of history. God fucking and that, damn it. <laughs> Also born in 1932, by the way. <laughs> that, is, that is the true story of what happened to the Lindbergh baby. He staged his own kidnapping after killing Hitler in an alternate timeline and became Mikhail Gorbachev. This... Okay, question. is the true story yes. uh, of the so, Lindbergh baby. Let's say you are uh, what's it, Charles Hopman, uh, Richard Hopman. Sorry. Uh, uh, so he Richard has you yeah. just like chilling at home, <laughs> and then a baby comes knocking at the door. <laughs> yes, this is one of my questions. And he's like, "Hey, can I borrow some of your attic wood to make a ladder?" <laughs> He thought I had to measure. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me explain this. What if I give this? Yes, okay. So, Hauptmann knows the fear of fascism, right? He's a, he's a resident of Weimar, Germany, and he sees the Nazi party as a threat. And this is a true <laughs> enemy of the Nazi so party. He presents baby. him with a baby Hitler's corpse. A baby's walking carrying a dead baby. <laughs> Yes, this was my other A baby with also. full command of the How English does he know language. It's Hitler's corpse and not just a baby carrying another dead baby. Yeah, like, babies look alike. <laughs> Listen, man, if you saw a baby who could, like, fucking talk yeah, like okay, an adult. It's fucking boss baby, man. And then uh, you'd be like, obviously, this is Hitler's baby body from an alternate time. He had a monkey's yeah, fucking there's paw? a talking baby. What am I going to not believe it? And his final selling point was he made his third wish to become an enemy of the consume of the excesses of capitalism in front of Hauptmann, yeah, I mean, proving the truth of the monkey's paw. If a baby shows up, I'm like, we're probably going to believe it, which will get me into all sorts of scrapes. 
He's got a baby's corpse. Brian, you're home. A baby shows up. He's got a corpse and a monkey's paw. He says this corpse brings, is Donald uh, Trump. Baby, and this is baby my Lindbergh monkey's paw. Charles Hopman in the first place. Yeah, how does he... Uh, he knows that he's an exile of the Weimar Republic, uh, Germany, the rise of fascism. He does his research. He has a phone book and, a, and an adult's mind. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I honestly admire how well prepared you were for this grilling. And honestly, no, the not. idea that this no, is the most not, outrageous alternate history you've ever presented offends me. I like it. It's like, uh, you know, Rug Rats meet. This is some uh, Agatha Doctor Christie Who shit right here. Meets. Meets. Uh, Inglorious Bastards. A yeah, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of like uh, Back to the Future meets Boss Baby meets Inglorious Bastards, pretty much. I'm I'm trying to picture this is basically if Quentin Tarantino directed Boss Baby. Uh, Zach, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, there was yeah, obviously a forking timeline element, uh, a Terminator factor. Judgment listeners, I just want to remind you, you can always. Contact us via revisionistpodcast.com uh, or any social media page, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, we're also a proud member of the Denver Podcast Network. Check out all those awesome shows, uh, including Left Hand, Right Brain, which I was on the most recent episode of. Um, so, Zeke, uh, Zeke, you're a great stand-up. You're, you have shows all around at any time. Like... Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just want to say one more thing. For it. Sure. <laughs> a lot of my just as soon as I start getting compliments, oh, something came up. A lot Sorry, of my you story. Didn't get any compliments. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's your what's your <laughs> I should have said it earlier. A lot of my story requires <laughs> a baby to be in a suit and a fake mustache, talking uh, like an adorable. adult. So, uh, but. <laughs> uh, Go uh, ahead, Zeke, I, I apologize uh, He's one of my favorites And anytime you get a chance to see him You should take that chance, listeners um, Sorry, Zach, I should have I should have asked you beforehand Did you have anything you wanted to plug? Okay. I am full-time um, in this coding school I got no for time me, for nothing um, As for me, I'll be... Um, it's coming out on the 13th, so the 17th, uh, the Wednesday after this comes out, I will be at the Sloan's Lake Alamo Draft House in Denver for Last Night on Earth, hosted by... It's a great <laughs> show. Just to see Toy Story 2. Thank you. <laughs> Thank or 4. Well, he's from an alternate timeline. He came back to watch Toy Story 2 this weekend. That's true. Yeah. It's confusing. In my... St- <laughs> In my timeline, uh, they're only on two. Sorry. But yeah, that's a great show. Host my friend of the show, Zach Moss. Um, check that out. And uh, my comedy TED Talk show, Know Your Shit. The next installment of that will be the week after this comes out, the 20th at Tandem Bar uh, here in Denver. So check that out. Fun. 
Yeah, uh, we got a great lineup. We have uh, friends of the show, Kate Strobel, Steve Vanderplug, Gabby Reed, and Jose McCall. Um, and one more person who is a surprise guest. Um, it's me. <laughs> Shh, surprise. I don't know who it is. And... Oh. Uh, it'll be... Whoever it is, <laughs> I thought they'll have it's baby Hitler. Of they insist is baby Hitler. <laughs> Uh, this is a full-grown woman. <laughs> Baby Hitler's corpse. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, this this is just like an elk. I don't know what you're. <laughs> That's great. Now I just want I want to meet like a hunter who taxidermies their hunt, and puts it up on their wall, and tells everyone it's actually Baby Hitler, but it's just like a jackalope or whatever, <laughs> or like a big mouth Billy Bass. Um, <laughs> God damn it. Okay. Um, so, Judgment falls to me this episode, and this is a very difficult one because I think both of you did a very good job. Listen, you don't gotta lie to me. <laughs> oh, thank God. No, um, I do think both of you did a very good job. Zeke, very well researched, uh, covered all the angles, including I knew about the, the woman who drank the nail polish and killed herself, did not know she had been cleared and that was kind of like her fourth interrogation being put through the ringer yeah so. they like beat her because it's like oh no oh. 1930s yeah 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 they beat hopman too but i apparently there was a scandal like about yeah i the mean if you make somebody kill the investigation after her death innocent, people were outraged. that would be outraged too yeah you know <laughs> rightly so um and zach yeah. i think that was both in presentation and material. Uh, well done. <laughs> you know what cut the wind from my sails? When you guys guessed my alternate history really yeah, early in the episode. I kind of had forgotten about that until I realized like partway through where you were going with <laughs> Yeah, but I was in for a penny and um, for a pound I at that point. Because it introduces an alternate universe and a super genius baby who's also Mikhail Gorbachev, which I forgot about until just now, who is still alive also. Um, wait, really? I think Gorbachev, no, Gorbachev is Gorbachev is still alive. Yeltsin is still alive. Gorbachev. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, they, next there you are. He's still Mikhail alive. Gorbachev. You can ask him about it yourself. Mikhail Gorbachev. Uh, famously combative. No, he is. You're right. He's also. still alive. Um, I will cast, I'll cast my vote for the alternate history, uh, but listeners voting is now open on Patreon and check the Instagram next week for the final poll. Uh, but Zeke, thank you. Yeah, no for being problem. Here. Zach, thank you as always. Don't remember as many Casper mattress plugs in his, but <laughs> fine. It's true. Z- Zeke did make us money. Flat out. <laughs> <laughs> now to hear from our sponsor. Oh, wand mattresses. Oh, shit. Oh, god damn it. Oh, yeah. We really fucked this one up. Thanks for having me, though. Yeah, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, for everyone here at The Revisionists, I'm Brian Flynn. Have a good time. Ooh. I'm Solid Zach Powers. lip smack right before I said that. Oof. Line. <laughs> Have cha- a good time line, vote. I think is what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've said so much worse.
my string one, so I have a couple, three things that I'm going to say. Um, it might be too long, so go ahead and figure that out. <laughs> July 13th, 1774. William I of Scotland, rebel in the revolt of 1773 to 1774, is captured by Henry II of England. Quote William, Fucking outrageous, fucking dumb cunts, fucking get on my git. 1249, coronation of Alexander III as King of the Scots. Quote Alex, fucking good, it's fucking great, I'm a king, you dim gets, your cunts. July 13th, 1830, the Scottish Church College founded in Calcutta, India. Quote, founder Alexander Duff, it's fucking good, learn about Jesus, you fucking gets, your cunts. Jesus Christ. <laughs> 